Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Path. <laughs> What's up, y'all? Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast. Got my kitty uh, creeping on me, so you might hear her in the background as well. I want to thank you for listening. Um, starting a new regular segment today that I'm going to put up on Sundays. Uh, this is kind of just going to recap my uh, Saturday campaign that I run. Um, so it'll be a way, if you're into session recaps, hearing how other people's games go, it might be something you want to check out. I'll also be sharing any wisdom I glean from the experience. I'm one of these people that uh, I don't really get into uh, DM tips and that kind of thing very much, uh, primarily because I think that uh, you learn a lot more by running a game than reading about it. Um, experience is definitely the best teacher. Um, it's certainly, no matter how long I've been running games, there's always something you can get better ba- uh, at. There's always something new you can learn. And part of that is because the great thing about role-playing games in general is that improvisation, the unpredictability, you know, the chance of the dice, and how that puts you into new unusual situations that you can't really prepare for anyway so you just kind of learn how to respond to them and get better um the campaign i am running is the night below second edition box set i don't run second edition i run a first edition bx kind of mashup but the second edition stuff is really instantly compatible with uh with everything else so um if you are prepping to run night below one day or you've ran it before and want to see how someone else did it or you just heard about it or interested in it uh, you might also enjoy this as well now night below is a massive box set came out in 1995 extremely high production values Uh, honestly this is the kind of thing that probably helped put TSR out of business because it is uh, huge and I can't imagine they, they made their money back on it, but it's got three large campaign books, a ton of poster maps, uh, all of these player handouts, all these DM handouts, all this stuff. So it is uh, something that had been sitting on my shelf for a little while and I'd look at it and it's just the kind of thing where, you know, I have a lot of stuff that I bought that I'll probably you know, most certainly never end up running, but this is one that was like, well, if that's going to be sitting there, I, I really, I need to run this. It doesn't need to just sit there. And it's actually a, a, a pretty good product, I think. Um, you know, there is a plot, but it is presented more or less in a sandbox sort of way. There's no set way for the players to approach it or any kind of specific order that they will do anything. So, that's good. And um, now I started this campaign back in March 2018, so wasn't podcasting then. So this episode will probably be a little bit longer as I kind of catch any uh, interested listeners up and what's going on. And then going forward, I imagine they'll be a lot shorter as I just kind of recap the action from the previous night. And, uh, so yeah, 
so the players in this campaign are all, uh, most of them are people I've played with for a long time. I've got a great core group of players. I'm very blessed as a GM for that. Very thankful for them. Uh, but anyway, we've got Cyril, who's a human assassin. And um, his whole thing, he's constantly uh, searching for new and interesting poisons. So he will often forage or look for crazy mushrooms or look for some way to come up with another way to, to harm people. So, as, a, as every good assassin should. We have uh, Fenric, the half-elf wizard, who tries and fails most of the time to be the uh, kind of moral compass of the group. We have Mabeldob, who is a gnome fighter, very diminutive little fighter, who is uh, very anal retentive. He is kind of obsessive compulsive as well. He will often try to uh, get people to sign on to contracts and triplicate and these kind of things, even for very minor things. He only wants to leave town on specific times of the day and and a bunch of other things that annoy his uh, the, the rest of the party. Unfortunately, he's not particularly intelligent, so um, most of the contracts he writes, you know, if you take a look at them, actually what's there, it's not actually even written in any language. It's kind of like a child's writing, just waves and scribbles. So none of it would ever hold up in court. We have uh, Moshi, the half-orc, and she is uh, probably best known for her uh, ferocious appetite, uh, particularly fond of live chickens. Zanril, <coughs> excuse me, Zanril is a human cleric of Zagig, uh, so kind of a god of humor and, and, and that sort of thing. Good-natured fellow. And uh, finally... Therian is a halfling thief. Um, he's joined the party very recently. Um, he was uh, a kidnapping victim that they rescued, and I'll kind of get into that as I talk a little bit about what's going on in the game. So, without obviously giving away too much of the plot and uh, what's going on in the campaign... Uh, as, uh, who knows, one of them might listen to this one day. The, the basic so far is that the party has entered this valley area. It's all set in this kind of sandbox valley area. Um, you know, it's like a really nice hex map called Heronshire. So it's like this river valley. There's a couple of, uh, small backwater towns. One extremely backwater, I would say, uh, barely anything there. There are only a couple of wealthy uh, families in the whole area, and uh, some of it has been developed farmland for years. Other parts are still relatively wild and kind of shunned based on the the uh, uh, orcs, goblins, hobgoblins, these kind of things that uh, that live there. Um, they're is still a couple of active mines in the area uh, owned by one of the wealthy lords. 
while other mines uh, have uh, been, you know, kind of dried out and been abandoned for years. So, <clears throat> when the party has arrived, basically they find out pretty quickly they're ambushed, for one thing, and then find out pretty quickly as they arrive in one of the small towns called Milbourne that uh, there have been a series of abductions and kidnappings that have been going on in the area. Now, no one seems immune, but they seem to be focused on spellcasters, magic users, clerics, <clears throat> that kind of thing. And so the party uh, begins to investigate what's going on um, and taking various odd jobs and that kind of thing along the way. So, make a long story short, get you caught up, um, the... They begin to notice that uh, there's been some bandit activity. They kind of track it to where that's happening. It seems maybe there's also some orcs that are maybe involved uh, that have a distinctive emblem on their shields uh, of a, a bloody skull. And some bandits they eventually track to this long abandoned keep kind of in the middle of nowhere in the woods. Now... Something crazy happened at this keep about a hundred years ago. Everybody there was killed, but there was no evidence of anything breaching the defenses. Um, and so it's been left in ruins. Uh, but they came to find out that uh, to find out that the some kidnappers and bandits had had uh, had taken it over, and they were able to to uh, thwart that threat. Um, but at the same time found out that a lot of them seemed to be under some sort of mind control. There were these potions, uh, potions of domination that they found. People had this odd fish smell coming off them. Um, a captured thief told them that, you know, people were having nightmares there, uh, mumbling in their sleep or crying out strange, bizarre stuff, uh, like about the dark mother and things like that. So they found uh, they had not been able to determine how the uh, kidnappers and bandits had been getting around the Heronshire, but then they found in one of the chambers a hidden passage that led to a large network of caves, caverns, and tunnels that run under the entire length of the Heronshire. So <clears throat> they began to explore through the the tunnels and caves gave me great opportunity to throw some of the, the classics at them, you know, run into a gelatinous cube and drop a piercer or two on them, <clears throat> that kind of thing. And we catch up with them as they returned to Milbourne, uh, regrouped, found that the, the cleric of the small town had been recently, recently abducted. And, um, tracked the abductors to the thought-abandoned Garlstone mine, named uh, after some kind of stone, the Garlstone. It's kind of a silvery blue stone. <laughs> and uh, in the most recent couple of sessions, they have uh, been exploring the mine and found that there's another group of these kidnappers and bandits inhabiting it. So... 
couple of interesting things about the uh, the way the mine adventures have gone. When they enter the mine, there is a spell that's been cast. It's one of these kind of magic user security system spells, but it is from uh, second edition Wyvern Watch. So if you're tired of magic mouth or alarm or any of these kind of things, this is a real cruel one. Um, if you play it right, it's an extremely cruel spell. Um, basically, there's a misty apparition that, for whatever reason, will appear almost as a wyvern or whatnot, even if you can kind of get a look at it. It's kind of hazy. But the player characters will have to roll a saving throw, and on a fail, they are paralyzed. So it is kind of a defense mechanism that can paralyze you. Uh, can could easily be a, a party wipe, depending on how you're you're running it. Um, as uh, if everyone failed, if everyone's paralyzed, if they don't have any way to remove the paralysis, uh, it can be uh, it can be very deadly. In this situation, they uh, they just kind of use it as a forward alarm system. Some thieves are on a lookout to see if anybody comes in. And so a couple of them failed their saves and were paralyzed. They didn't know what to do for a little while, but it, it didn't end up, uh, you know, killing anybody. So as they further explored the caverns, uh, there were a couple of minor uh, encounters where one of them got a, waded through some some kind of deep water and got a giant leech on their back. I enjoyed the giant leech from first edition. Um, because it's kind of gross uh, in a lot of ways, but the, the added bonus is that high chance of disease. So uh, throwing a disease into your game or a chance of disease and, and certain death and in interjecting a new quest like that can all, always be fun. But in this case, it bit the uh, it bit Therian, got attached to him, but uh, he didn't contract a disease from it. <laughs> so, so it is... Here that I'll mention that this campaign um, definitely presents some challenging aspects uh, to the DM. Um, one of which is, you know, these areas that they'll infiltrate, infiltrate the um, the keep, for example, the mines, are not kind of static areas where everything is in place. You know, depending on their actions, um, the the creatures there, the, the kidnappers and everything are, are intelligent. And uh, once they discover that the, the PCs are there, they, they move into action. They move into certain places to, to mount their defense, to ambush. And, um, you know, there'll be large groups of them. So if uh, it's always a good learning experience, a good um, way to sharpen your talents when you're, when you're dealing with large amounts of creatures uh, humans, whatever, demi-humans, um, it can pose, you know, a lot of challenges. Um, in this case, uh, as they kind of made their way further into the mines, you know, they've been discovered via the Wyvern Watch spell. So, uh, several of the, uh, kind of thief types, fighter types of the, uh, bandits and kidnappers, uh, kind of mounted defense to catch them in a choke point. And so there was a skirmish there with a couple of them escaping back down to the second level of the mines, kind of the inner sanctum of the mines. 
And so last night's session began with the adventurers group kind of deciding how they wanted to approach going to the lower level of the mines. They knew that a, at least one bandit thief type, at least one fighter type had, had made it down there and uh, were deciding how to approach it. So Mabeldom decided to go first with a rope tied around him, almost like a, like bait, like deep sea fishing bait in case something happened and dropped down there first asking Xanril to hold his pack, which included his scroll case with all of his, uh, you know, documents that he draws up for himself that are just ille- illegible scribblings. So Mabeldob went down there, uh, saw that there wasn't any immediate danger at the base of the, uh, at the base of the stairs, uh, at the base of the ladder rather. And by the time he had, he came back up to let everyone know, he found that Moshi had, had eaten all of his documents as her stomach was grumbling and she'll eat just about anything. And, uh, she kind of turned the scroll case over like a Pringles can and, and ate them all. So he was very upset by that. Uh, so the party made their way to the lower level, saw that there was two different ways, a way to the West to go or a way to continue going North off the passage and decided to send Therian, the halfling thief to scout ahead to see if he could, uh, discern any dangers so the thief decided to hide in shadows and these kind of things and also you know the dm obviously will roll that so they don't know if they're successful in this case i rolled really well for theory and i rolled a a four on a d100 so i was just determined to just kind of let him do whatever he needed to they weren't going to notice him Uh, the enemies weren't going to notice him so he snuck ahead to the west and uh, was able to overhear a group of fighters uh, and you know kidnappers, bandits, as well as one of their leaders, uh, just this total badass fighter. Uh, found a great image for him, you know, horned helmet. Um, in the game, he's got boots of speed. He's got a plus two bastard sword. Um, I believe he has like plus two splint mail. Uh, so very. T- uh, he's also got a plus one longbows. The guy's got a lot of nice gear. The boots of speed in first edition are really, really good. Um, you get an additional plus two AC when you're using them. Um, and uh, the speed is something. So, Therian, the thief, overhears them whispering about how they're going to ambush. They're going to wait for them to pass, come up from the rear, and then other enemies will come from the north to catch them from both sides. I allow all this based on the the role. Um, So the party then kind of double, uh, Therian doubles back to the party to discuss what to do. And this is one of the things I love about the group I run for because they, they come up with really creative ways to solve problems. That's just a great thing about old school games, OSR games. Not everything's on your sheet, and uh, not everything is kind of spelled out, and there's a lot of creative problem solving that goes into it. I imagine that's true for, I mean, it's true for a lot of games. I don't mean to make it sound like, you know, other games are a brain-dead exercise or something, but it's just something that I really enjoy 
about the games and about my party. So they decide to hatch a plan wherein Therian will be turned invisible and accompany the mage straight forward with a light so as to draw the other so as to draw the bandits and the badass fighter behind them without them realizing that the rest of the party is still hidden uh, behind some stalagmites. And when the enemies attack from the north, whomever they might be, Therian will be invisible, and via a scroll of fly, uh, Fenric, the magic user, will fly back so that they have them all in front of them and at least aren't pinned in from both sides. So, uh, they, they do that, they move forward, and then discover from the north the enemy that is coming to the north that they had not heretofore determined. It's a group of zombies, like ten zombies kind of slouching towards them. So, Therian is invisible, doubles back. The mage flies back as the bandits and the badass fighter come from the side. So they've at least got them all in front of them. Now here's where <clears throat> things got a little, well, it becomes a little bit difficult to, to judge and adjudicate. Uh, I won't say difficult, it's challenging. When you have a lot of different things going on that require different durations, different distances, and these kind of things. So we had, you know, there's over 15 enemies involved against the party at this point. And we had a number of different spells, area effects, and everything that were going on. The Xanril, the cleric, it's chanting, which um, I believe is like a 30-foot diameter type deal going on. The mage casts a stinking cloud, so you've got this 20-foot square kind of area going on. Um, at one point, the... Uh, an evil cleric reveals himself who's controlling the zombies. And so as things are kind of going south for the bandits, he casts a darkness spell right in the center of, of the activity. And so that affects another, you know, 15 foot radius and all these, you know, the different people that were in the stinking cloud have got a different amount of rounds that they're going to be helpless. Um, you know, lots of different things going on. So one of the things I learned from this, you just, you know, roll with it and you just do the best you can do. And, uh, the, obviously the, the main emphasis is on fun. So you just try to, even if you're having to do some bookkeeping, even if you're having to do a little checking off of rounds or taking a second look at it, never forget to be descriptive and to keep that element of it going. It helps keep a keep people engaged so you're talking about the you know the vomiting bandits and the choking and vomiting bandits and the stinking cloud and the the pitch black darkness and the way i always think of a darkness spell is uh one time we went to this cave system mark twain caves you know there were mark twain had had based his tom sawyer stories around that he had explored in his youth went and uh, visited those a couple of times I have some family members that are, are there in uh, Missouri. And, you know, there's one point, and they probably do this on a lot of different cave 
uh, tours or whatever, but there's one point where they'll turn off all the lights to show you what the real pitch black looks like, and it's like blacker than black. And so that's how I'll describe the darkness spell. And, uh, you know, you, you're asking, you continue to ask people what they're doing, the players what they're doing in situations, keep them into it. Uh, when the priest is chanting, you're asking, what is he chanting? Uh, and, you know, even though there's a lot of things to track, if you kind of keep that element of description and things like that going as you're, you're tracking it and going through it, it makes it a, you know less tedious and feel less mechanical, I think, to the players. So that was... Uh, you never know when those kind of situations are coming, really. But once you've got 15 different enemies, multiple layers of effects and durations and everything going, all of a sudden, hey, you're in it. So you just, uh, like I say, you do the best you can do, and I always like to just kind of fall back on being descriptive, describing the situations and that kind of takes them puts the mechanics keeps them in the rear view where they should be um, so anyway the the evil priest was high enough level to for this darkness spell to last you know an hour or so so that kind of effectively caused a stalemate the priest had turned the zombies so they all booked it back down the hallway the darkness spell kind of gave cover to the bandits from the west, the zombies and the evil cleric for the north, and almost kind of provided a little safe pocket there for the party. So everyone kind of retreated, like I said, into a stalemate. Um, they only managed, you know, to kill a couple of zombies and one of the bandits throughout this, uh, and they didn't suffer any, any party losses. And so now we look forward to the next session. The darkness has dissipated. The party decides, well, they'd rather head to the west and handle that threat for now and then take their chances heading north afterwards. So uh, the session ended with the party heading into the west um, and uh, the only remaining bandits, two of them, along with the badass fighter with the horn helmet and everything, were in the chamber and they could see them with their infravision and that is kind of where I left the cliffhanger for next time. I always like to try to leave a leave a session on a cliffhanger, regardless of what time it is. I don't say, okay, well, we got to play exactly till this hour or whatever. If I, if it's a few minutes earlier, you know, twenty minutes earlier or twenty minutes after, if it feels like a good session to where, kind of leaves you wanting more and also kind of clearly let you get right back into a, a moment of action. I try to do that. So, so yeah, that is uh, what happened last night. That's what's been happening so far in the game. Um, it's been really enjoyable. Love my players, but also like this, uh, this box set. It's a, it's the kind of thing where it's way too much to, to read ahead of time to really know every little detail of it, but it's broken into the three books. Uh, you kind of get an idea geographically where they are in the Heronshire, so you can just spend a little time prepping without having to, you know, go through the whole thing. So I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Got really nice maps and, and everything, so the production value and all that is really nice from the GM side. 
So, I uh, hope you enjoyed listening. Um, if you if you've ran the night below or uh, played in it, and uh, and this is jogging your memory banks and you're remembering any of this, I'd love to hear a voice message or uh, email or voicemail on any social media um, to see what you what you thought about it uh, or your insights. That would be interesting to me. Um, you can always uh, check out my blog. If you're interested, I've got links up there on, on Anchor. And I will try to continue to have these Night Below session recaps um, on Sundays. I run pretty much every Saturday, but, you know, sometimes real life happens. So, All right, well, I appreciate you very much uh, listening, and we'll talk to you next time.